Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Power Hour podcast. We've got a great lineup, so let's get started. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bill Miles with the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber of Commerce, and we're glad to have you joining us again today for another Power Hour. It's hard to believe the summer's just about flowing by, uh, only 12 days before the Beaufort County School System starts back, and that will be here just before we know it. Today, we're gonna to focus on education and some new and innovative options for uh, students in our area. And while we're talking about education, I can't let the moment pass without giving a huge shout out to USCB. And uh, them just receiving their Division II status is huge for the university, it's huge for the community, and certainly a, a, a step of growth in the right direction for USCB. So uh, uh, Dr. Panu, congratulations to you. And also Quinn Monahan, congratulations to you and the entire team there at USCB. And speaking of Quinn, we'll have Quinn Monahan as well as Dr. Rodriguez on the podcast with us next week. So you want to tune in and be able to hear each of them. And I, I know they'll be very, very interesting. And then also to uh, help ease the back to school transition, uh, don't forget the tax-free shopping. And that'll be August 5 through 7, which is the tax-free weekend. Well, those of you who have been traveling this summer, or been on an airplane, uh, you know things have been busy. And uh, we've seen uh, unprecedented summer travel. We've seen delays, we've seen cancellations and many other things. Um, you know, our workforce continues to be a challenge and uh, that challenge has also disrupted air travel. So this morning, we're gonna have John Rembold. John's gonna give us a 40,000 foot view of what's happening in the airline industry, as well as what's happening with the expansion of his, uh, his airport here on Hilton Head Island. John, welcome, and uh, we look forward to hearing the things and updates from you on the airport. Well, thank you, Bill. It's, uh, it's great to be back with you and back with all of the, uh, the folks joining us for Power Hour. Um, you're right, it, it's been quite an interesting summer, quite an interesting season for air travel. Um, and I guess one thing I can tell you is that every year has been different over the last three years or so. You know, when we entered into uh, kind of the COVID pandemic, you know, the bottom fell out and, and travel stopped for a while. And, and then it came back. Um, it came roaring back last year. And if, if you flew um, out of just about any airport, but especially, you know, our coastal airports uh, and any other resort airports, you notice just huge, huge numbers of, of people traveling. Um, and, and then get to this season and some of those effects of, uh, of the pandemic and some of the effects of the reactions to the pandemic have really started to, I guess, come into a, a maturity of some sorts. And, and what I mean by that is the, um, the way the airlines had to deal with the, uh, the loss of revenue uh, and the downturn in travel um, out of necessity is they had a lot of you know early retirement options for for key positions uh, almost all positions and that's created the situation that we're in this season so if you've traveled anywhere you've probably noticed that there are a lot of delays there's been cancellations um, even things as simple as getting your bags on time you know, after you land somewhere has been a, a challenge. Uh, and that goes to what you mentioned about workforce, Bill, and that that, that continues to be an issue um, throughout all the ranks from the, the very um, top, you know, being flight crews and, and planners, all the way down through 
every level of, of airline and airport worker. So, you know, the, the folks handling your bags, there aren't quite as many of them, and they may be filling different roles on the ground crew. So you might wait a little while for your bag. Your bags might get mixed up sometimes. You might have to do the, uh, the not so fun um, job of tracking down the airlines and, and putting a claim on your baggage. So um, it, it has been very difficult. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of effects at the Hilton Head Island Airport other than to say, that when things happen at the hubs, it definitely trickles down to you know the smaller and the regional airports like ours. So we've seen some of that. Haven't had a whole lot of cancellations um, out of Hilton Head Island Airport, but we've we have seen the effects of the other ones. So it, it's tough. And and one thing that that we've noticed, and, and some of my consultants have mentioned, and this gives you a little bit kind of higher level view, I guess, of the industry, is that because of some of those early retirements that happened as a result of COVID. There have been some talent positions, some what you would call them, you know, skilled positions on a team who took advantage of that and, and left. And they've not been replaced by the same level of talent and skill because it takes time to build that up. And some of those folks are in the scheduling. Uh, some of those folks are in the planning departments of the airlines. And that makes it very difficult when you put that together with the pilot shortage uh, and crews maybe call out sometimes and, and say they're not going to be able to, to make keep their schedule. Um, you really needed those high level and very, very well tuned professionals to be able to react quickly and juggle the schedule and put everything uh, back into working order. And you'll see that the loss of that talent has had some pretty significant ripple effects through the industry this year. And that, unfortunately, is going to take a, a couple of years to recover from, um, but it's it's happening. It's already started. The recovery started. Um, there's a lot more pilots who are in training now, and the airlines are doing everything that they can to you know, speed that process up without sacrificing any quality. That's obviously important to everybody. So I would look to see, you know, some easing of that over the next couple of seasons, um, and then, you know, I, I hope that we're back to normal in, um, you know, maybe a couple more seasons. So, um, but the, there is a lot of good news. Uh, we, we've done some things at our local airport and at your island airport that hopefully you've seen as improvements. Number one this season, there's more rental cars. You know, last year that was the big thing where nobody could find a rental car. So that's one slightly brighter spot this year is there's more rental cars available. So for the folks who are traveling and, and anybody who needs a rental car, that's a little bit better. Also, if you've traveled through uh, Hilton Head Island Airport in the last um, just about year, I guess about 10 months, you'll notice that there's concessions in the airport now. So we've got a, a company, uh, Tailwind Concessions, has a spot set up pre-security in the lobby area and then also post-security. So if you go through security and you know, you still want that cup of coffee or maybe something a little bit stronger as you get on the airplane. Uh, that's available to you in the gate two area. So just because you went through security, don't think that you, you don't have access to concessions. Uh, they are over by the gate two area. So feel free to meander over there and, um, and you know, take, uh, take advantage of those services that are provided now. So we, we think that's nice. We're looking forward to, um, you know, obviously being able to expand that with the new terminal as well. Um, TSA upgrades that we've had since last year. You've, if you've traveled through our airport, you've noticed that there's a, a new full body scanner in there, which speeds up the uh, the process through the checkpoint. Um, and if you've got a you know any kind of a, 
knee replacement or something like that, it just makes that process go so much smoother to have that body scanner. Um, we'll also have some more uh, touchless options too as you go through the, the TSA process. So as you, you check in at the initial counter, there'll be a, a new uh, stand set up there where we have 100% touchless check-in and ID checks and that sort of thing. And all your boarding information now will be able to be checked from your ID from your driver's license. So that'll be coming here within the next couple of weeks. So TSA has done a good job to really continue to upgrade things at our airport and make travel easier for folks. So hopefully you'll see some of those, uh, those improvements and they'll be beneficial for you. But a, the big light at the end of the tunnel, what everybody wants to hear about, I think, is the, the new terminal. And I know there was a, an image of the, the front of the building, the elevation of the new building that was on the uh, the advertisement for this power hour. So thank you for, for putting that up there. Um, just to let you know where we are, we, we did put that project out for bid and the bids are in. They're currently being evaluated and they're making their way kind of through that process so that uh, county council can award that contract. As you might imagine, they're a little bit expensive in today's environment. So. Um, we're just kind of working with that. But the good news is we've had a, a good bit of grant money. You probably saw the news last week uh, where we did receive additional um, in uh, grant money coming in from the FAA to support that project. So very thankful about that. And also the, uh, the state of South Carolina earmarked $12 million for that uh, terminal project as well. So we had our local delegation, um, big kudos to Jeff Bradley, who really led that charge. So if you see Jeff, please thank him. Um, he, he did a lot of work to make sure that that 12 million uh, stayed in the, um, in the budget and made it through all the way to the governor. Um, Weston Newton and Bill Herb Kurzman were also very instrumental there, as was Shannon Erickson, who, who's the glue that holds that delegation together. And then once it got to the Senate side, it, it still had to, you know, have that support there. So Senator Tom Davis um, took that through. He's on Senate finance, and that really helped uh, get that across the finish line. So that $12 million was extremely important, especially in today's environment of inflation and supply chain issues. So we're, we're very thankful for that. Um, you may have noticed if you've been at the airport that there's a new apron area that's completed, and that's in that will serve the new terminal building. Um, so the area that used to be all trees next to the terminal is now completely cleared and it's all concrete and it's it's painted up and everything for the airplanes. Um, and that was a, a great project because that was 100% funded by the FAA. So that was a about a $5.3 million uh, grant that funded that entire project 100%. So there were no local funds that had to be invested in that one, which was fantastic. And especially in the you know, the wake of COVID, it was very much appreciated. So that's complete and it's just waiting for the building. Like I said, we're, we're really anxious to get that contract awarded and get things moving there. Um, and just to let you know, a few of the key features that, that you'll see in that new building. I mean, it's, it's an expansion project and a renovation project, but at the end of the project, it's the whole building is going to appear to be brand new. So we're very excited. It's going to be about three times the size of what we have there today. So everybody's going to have a little bit more elbow room, a little bit more room to you know drag their bags around and things like that. Um, but there'll be a, a new parking area. The roadway as you come into the airport is going to be changed. There'll be a lot more room in front of the building to drop off passengers and pick passengers up. 
Um, the full front lane of the, the terminal building will have a, a cover over it, so you won't have to be stuck out in the in the rain or anything like that as you're dropping off and, and picking people up. So we think that'll be a, a big improvement. Um, there'll be boarding bridges. So, you know, for those afternoon thunderstorms or in the cold or in the heat, um, our passengers will be able to enjoy uh, kind of that first class experience all the way through from the terminal onto the airplane. So we're really excited about that. A lot of airports our size um, make the decision to not add those boarding bridges uh, and, and keep the, the walk on the ground boarding of the airplanes. But we decided it was an important investment to make. Um, it's important for our residents and for our visitors to have that experience. So we're, we're making that extra investment. Um, you'll see a brand new TSA checkpoint. And I know a lot of people are gonna be happy to see that. As you know, that the current checkpoint is really kind of crammed into an area that, that wasn't intended to be used for that. Um, the, the building was designed and built pre 9-11. So we've had to make a lot of adaptations to make things work, but there will be a new open checkpoint, two lanes, uh, brand new equipment. And so I think that's going to make that experience a lot better as well. And along with that, everything from ticketing to baggage claim to brand new restrooms to more opportunities for concessions throughout the building, uh, all new seating with uh, you know, different types of seating. So you can work while you're there and, and plug your devices in and recharge. Um, it'll be a, a great new experience. We're super excited. Um, advertising opportunities. I know we're talking to a business community. So if folks are interested in, in advertising, there'll be a lot more opportunities to do that. A lot of digital advertising in the new building. So everything is going to be modernized and just great opportunities uh, throughout. And, you know, an interesting part of the design was that the, from the very beginning, there was a large community stakeholder group that was that was asked to participate in design input for the terminal. And we're super happy about that because it, it really resulted in the building reflecting the, the best of Hilton Head Island and the true character of the island. At the same time that it will be very, very utilitarian. So there's not a lot of extra ruffles in this, but it's been made utilitarian and will reflect the, the island character. So we're excited about that. It did make it more expensive. You know, we have to go through the same design review board uh, with the town of Hilton Head Island that the other projects do. Um, and that's, it's a tough task. It's a great group that uh, their job is to maintain the, the character of the island and make sure that the quality is is produced throughout the island. And they do a good job and it's, it, but it's expensive. So you, you should know that um, there's been a significant investment in order to make this, this building really reflect the character and the feel of Hilton Head Island. But we're super excited about that, and um, and hopefully I can answer a few questions. But stay tuned; you'll see um, you know more progress starting uh, hopefully very very soon. Um, and I guess the other big announcement we've got a few weeks ago we we just launched our new logo. The airport did a rebranding campaign to kind of go along with the timing of the terminal project and and launching everything together. So. You'll see new ads, new billboards, and things like that that reflect the new uh, airport branding and logo. So we're excited about that, and I think that raises the, the level of what we're doing, and uh, I think you'll see a real first-class approach to everything. All right. Thank you, John. Uh, appreciate that update. We've got a few questions for you. The first one is coming from Randy, and Randy is asking what you're hearing about the TSA staffing. Yeah, Randy, that's a really good question. And um, it, TSA staffing is a challenge just like everybody else's. 
But I will tell you that in South Carolina, we are really lucky to have the um, uh, the federal security director we do, and his, his name is Dave McMahon. He works out of Charleston, and he is fantastic. He's very proactive. And um, what he has been able to do for us last summer and a little bit this summer, not hasn't, haven't, we haven't had quite the need, but um, what he's done is he's identified staffing throughout the state that he could kind of bring to Hilton Head Island during the weekends when we're busier and upstaff um, the folks at, at our airport. So for the last couple of seasons, that's what, what Dave's been able to do. But I can tell you just on the larger scale, I'm on a call every week with our industry and they always talk about TSA and the staffing and there's a lot of openings there. So, you know, if anybody is interested, I certainly would, uh, would recommend that you go to tsa.gov and, and check out the opportunities. There certainly are local opportunities as well as statewide, but um, they, they're they're struggling. I know that they they're trying to get folks just like everybody else uh, is trying to hire folks. So it's it's tough, but I, I think there's some real good benefits there too. Okay, our next question is from Carol, and Carol is asking. It's saying it seems like the weather has become more of a factor in travel the past few years, and has the FAA changed the rules for flying in in weather or rain? Yeah, it is a good question. It does seem like we're hearing more and more about the, you know, weather interruptions. Um, I, I don't know if if it's gotten any worse, to be honest with you. I, I think maybe we just hear about it more because we we do have the news at our fingertips, you know, at, on our phones all the time. So whenever anything happens, we seem to hear about that. So, you know, not, not to downplay your concern, it certainly is a concern, but um, I, I don't think in reality it's any worse than it used to be. And, and the rules haven't changed. I think that um, if anything, that it's gotten a little bit better to, to route airplanes around weather with the, the next gen technology that is on these new airplanes. So supposedly that's supposed to fix things. And, and I, I'm sure with everything, it takes some time to get it 100% correct. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I can speak real accurately at, uh, about that. But to my knowledge, there haven't been any changes in, in what the airlines can do. John, Stephanie's asking, what is the deadline for the for uh, people to get their real IDs? Oh, that's a good question. That got pushed back again. So I think, and I have to double check this, but I believe it got pushed back to October of 23. Um, it's, it seems to get pushed back a year at a time as, as, uh, you know, COVID happened and everything else, but I can double check that, but I believe it's October of 23 is that new deadline. I would encourage everybody to, to do that though. I've, I've done it and it, it is, it's very easy to do as, as long as you just bring the correct documentation to you. So it's worth doing it early, especially if you do travel and you want to, you know, do any kind of tourist activity and in, in, um, on federal installations or something like that, it's, it's handy to have. So I, I definitely encourage you to get ahead of the curve and go ahead and do that now. All right, John, let's see. We've got two more questions for you. Next one's coming from Joe. And Joe is asking if there's any way to limit the time of landings and departures, not to disturb some of those who live here. Well, Joe, I, I understand what you're saying and, and we always want to be sensitive to the folks who live near the airport and on the island. Um, it's a little bit challenging with an island airport because almost everybody who lives on the island is going to have some type of overflight and they'll notice some some activity with the airlines and, and with the private planes as well. The airlines are in charge of the scheduling um, and I don't want to dodge your question by saying that because it's, it's not an excuse but 
Um, we, we do let the, the airlines know if we do get a significant amount of, of complaints where folks say, hey, there's a, a certain time window where we prefer them not to, uh, to operate as intensely. But we do let the airlines know about that. And, um, and they do listen to us. We're a small airport. It's a, it's a niche market. And they, um, you know, they're concerned about making sure that the community is, is supportive of, of their business. So we do pass any of that on to the airlines and, and it's up to them to make the final scheduling decisions. But we always pass that information along. John, our last question before we let you go is coming from Lori. And Lori's asking if there are any new airlines or routes on the plans or anything that you can talk about regarding that. Well, we don't have anything right now that's uh, being exciting to announce. Um, I think what you've seen this summer is a little bit of a, uh, reduction from last year, and that's because of the, the pilot shortage and that, so a little bit fewer flights. But um, I would expect as, as the pilot population continues to increase, um, we're always going to be a place for growth. The airlines all have, have let us know at the airport that as they're able to expand and, uh, and change some of the, the destinations, that, that we're a target for them. So um, I, I think that we're going to be an airport that, that receives a lot of attention there. Um, huge thanks to the, the chamber and the VCB uh, and, and what you've done over the years to make the island such a, an awesome destination. Um, my job on the marketing side, while it's not easy, I can tell you it, it certainly is nice to be able to market the number one island. Um, it is a huge feather in our cap for, for all of us. And, uh, and I would look to see, you know, some more announcements over the next, you know, ne next couple of seasons, I would think, as the airlines come out of this uh, pilot shortage issue. John, thank you. And I remember uh, from a study done that was in 2020, I think the airport, uh, roughly a half a billion dollars, it means to our local economy. And that was in 2020. So that's probably increased since then. And then also uh, generating about $17 million for the state. So it plays a huge impact here on the island. And we appreciate you and, and what you do and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity. All right. That was John Rimbold talking all things Hilton Head Island Airport. And uh, we're going to move on now to talk about education. And there's some new and innovative education programs uh, in place for this school year. And you may have heard about the new Jubilee Scar Charter School, which was founded by the owner of Chichesse Creek, uh, David Proctor. And his mission is simply to give all, all kids equitable uh, starting lines. So everybody's going to be even when they start. And here to talk about that uh, uh, launching here next month for ages three to five is the school director, Amy Dungan. And Amy is a former master teacher with Beaufort County Schools for, I think, 20 years or more. And then also the uh, former director of the, the first Presbyterian day school that many of us know her from. Amy, welcome, and uh, we're glad to have you this morning to hear about Jubilee. Thanks to John for that update with the um, with the airport. I remember, you know, coming down here for the uh, Christmas snowstorm in 1989 and trying to get into the airport. And folks were out there with shovels and brooms trying to clear the runways. So that place has come a long way, and I'm excited uh, with that progress and the ease of which we'll be able to get off and on the island. Um, but to education, you know, we're here to uh, to help our community and help families who are in need of childcare. As you said, I've been doing this for, uh, for a long while in the county. 
And, you know, Dave Proctor, our, uh, our benefactor, saw a huge need, um, especially in West, Western Beaufort County um, and Eastern Jasper County, and is, um, is working hard to fill that need. So, you know, early childhood education has been uh, pretty much consistent for a very long time. And we've spent uh, a good bit of time the last couple of years doing a lot of research and figuring out the best way to um, to do early childhood education. So we looked at many well-researched models and came up with our own um, our own way of doing things. So we're pulling from a lot of best practices and kind of reinventing the wheel. So. Ordinarily, you know, in a, in a regular preschool, you come in and you're sitting in your classroom all day and it's, you know, four cinder block walls and you get to go out to the playground a few times. Um, and that's the traditional method of, of teaching preschool. And um, we recognize that little people don't sit still. They're, you know, they're, they're active, they wanna move. And so we are trying to keep them engaged by keeping them active. And one of the ways that we're doing that, and I would say our biggest reinvention is we have five um, specific rooms, content areas, and the children are going to rotate between those rooms. Now, little children love uh, routine, so they're not going to all five rooms every day, but each day they're going to visit two rooms. Um, they're going to travel to those rooms with their teacher and with their uh you know, with their peers who are in their classroom. And then they're going to have a home base where they'll have lunch and, and take a rest because it's still nap time for little guys, which is which is uh, always needed and will be needed after spending the morning at our school. So our first room is called the romp room. And it sounds just like uh, just like it is. Uh, we're gonna have gross motor activities, um, lots of movement and music and dancing. We have a um, local martial arts instructor who's coming in and once every two weeks, he is going to teach the children uh, martial arts. Um, that's another research proven method of helping children understand their, you know, their bodies, giving them, um, an opportunity to listen to different adults and regulate themselves. And it's it's extremely important for little ones to understand um, how their bodies operate in, in time and space. Uh, another one of our rooms is a, a maker space. So, you know, in, in that room, just uh, like all good STEAM education, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, we're gonna have plenty of open-ended materials excuse me, and uh, folks are going to um, help engage those students with, you know, discovery and building and creating. Um, one of our rooms is going to be a nature-based room, and we're hoping to bring a lot of the low country um, into that room. I myself is, a, I'm a master naturalist. Um, I'm very interested in that, and I think that it's important for for children to learn to um, coexist with what we have on our island and in the low country. And, you know, they're definitely gonna have exposure there. Um, 
The next room is going to be a, a words room where we're really going to highlight early literacy. And, you know, research has proven that if you are read to as a young child, that's the closest success um, to to further um, further literacy success in, in elementary school. Um, we really need to establish the fact that there should be a love for reading. And so we're going to hopefully bring in volunteers and have lots of one-on-one -on -one time with, um, with individual reading and obviously group reading. And reading is gonna be interspersed throughout the day in, in all of those classrooms. Um, and then our fifth room is an outdoor room. So we have a, a large covered pavilion and an outdoor area, and we'll be able to, you know, play outside, work outside, explore in the woods, and um, learn about nature while we're in it, which is fantastic. One of the other unique things that we're doing is um, home visits. So, you know, a lot of schools do do an initial home visit to go in and, you know, meet families and, and get to know children on their own turf, which is very comforting. Um, and when we will do that, but we're going to continue to do that throughout the year. So we will have a coordinator who goes out with um, with our teachers and we'll go into the homes and we'll talk about progress and get to know families on a on a more intimate level. And hopefully through that, build some trust and, um, you know, with a, a well-educated home visit coordinator, we'll be able to spot if there are areas of need in the home and um, connect those people with social services locally, which is, which is hugely important. Um, and then one of the other interesting things that we're doing is we're bringing a, um, a co-op model to education. So we're asking parents to donate three of their uh, hours of life with us once every two weeks so that they are in the classroom with their children and with the teacher and learning side by side from the teachers. So we have um, we are lucky enough to have hired some excellent teachers, wonderful experience, advanced degrees, and parents are going to be able to learn, you know, how teachers speak to children, you know, the power of a whisper instead of the, um, the shriek of a, a of a scream. So um, hopefully parents will pick up some in information and be able to take that home and use it as well. Um, and then we have a, uh, a curriculum that we have had an expert design. So we've got 480 pages of custom curriculum that we're excited to um, to step into and you know the between the the curriculum and the room rotations these children are going to be engaged and they're going to be engaged um, all day except for nap time and you know that's when they're going to be exhausted and and hopefully take a nice rest um, we are offering um, a sliding scale for tuition. And, you know, that's going to start at $100 a month for the lowest income level folks. So we recognize that, you know, there, there are people who are working on the island and, you know, trying to trying to get here and trying to find childcare and they're not making a lot of money. And, 
you know, we'll be there for them and we'll be able to, to provide a quality education for their children. And, you know, preschool is the foundation for further success. So if we can establish a love of learning at an early age with these people and, you know, the sky's the limit from there. Um, and from there, the goal is that they're gonna move on into our, um, our charter schools. So a few months ago, we were, um, we were approved by the state for a charter school. And um, that's gonna start up in 2023 of August. And um, originally we're, we're, um, we're licensed from K to five. We will start with two grade levels, add a grade level every year. And then after that, go back and reapply for um, six to 12. So there will be a continuum from preschool to grade 12 for a different kind of education um, in the low country. And we're very excited to bring that here. All right, Amy, thank you. And uh, first of all, it's a comment from Joy and she's saying congratulations on this new exciting program. And then she's also asking is if there's any mentoring program associated uh, with the school after those students move on to other schools. Uh, you know, one of our partners um, in the Jubilee partnership is is um, real. Uh, I can't remember their the second one. Um, so they're they're in Jasper County, uh, real champions. And uh, I assume that once they're in high school um, or even elementary school, uh, we'll hook up with those guys and offering offer mentoring programs through Real Champions. All right, the next question is coming from Andy and Andy is asking, what are some of the biggest challenges the families are facing that will be enrolling in your school? Um, you know, one of them is um, transportation. I mean, it's it's tough. We're not going to be a, a public school and be able to transport people. So, you know, that's an issue. I think that the, um, you know, our, our ask of three hours a week is a huge challenge. And I'm hoping that, you know, businesses will be able to accommodate a little bit of time off or some flex schedules to, um, to make that happen. Um, other than that, I don't, you know, we're offering a great product and I hope that uh, that people find us and and come out and and enroll. All right, Tom is asking what your current enrollment is as it stands today. We have 38 applications. We are uh, we are not yet licensed. We have just received the last step um, prior to DSS licensing and our application is in. So, you know, we've had to go through a, a series of licensing um, and where we just got the fire marshal, the state fire marshal from DSS to approve us. So he has uh, stamped the application, sent it to DSS. So, you know, we're at 38 applications. We're hoping to, um, to bring in that many in enrollment and we're gonna be at capacity uh, 50 students for the next two years while we're in a temporary facility. Uh, we're renting some space right now from um, the Red Dam Baptist Church, which is uh, out close to Carolina, uh, Coastal Carolina Hospital. And then we are getting ready to close on some land um, soon and we'll 
build a permanent structure and be able to take in um, many more students at that time. Amy, congratulations. And uh, you have a, a long, rich history of, of helping students here locally, and uh, you'll continue to do that at the new Jubilee School there. And, and we just appreciate what you're doing and also Mr. Proctor's investment. And we'll look forward to talking to you again and giving our listeners an update later on down the road. Thank you, Bill. All right. We're going to continue on that a little bit because we know that uh, uh, with our workforce challenges, we really can't have that conversation without also talking about the critical need for, for child care. And the Children's Center has been part of our community for over 50 years, and they're an organization that has been the Chamber's organization of the year, I believe not once, but twice, and just doing great things for over 50 years. And this, this or I guess started last year, was a special offering of a Saturday school there, and specifically for the hospitality workers and those who work on the weekends. And here to tell us all about it and the Saturday school program, as well as other things that are going on at the Children's Center is uh, Jody Levette. Jody? Thank you, Bill. And uh, Amy, I'm so excited to see how things work out at, at Jubilee because education of our young people is, is really so critical. And I, I want to start, um, first of all, just by making the comment that um, many people don't even think about childcare as an issue for them. Their kids are grown and raised. Um, they don't have children, all of the above. But childcare is really a critical issue for our economy. Um, quoted author Betsy Stevenson, who's a University of Michigan um, economist said that the decisions we make about the availability of childcare today will shape the US macro economy for decades by influencing those who work, what types of jobs parents take and the career paths they follow. Um, Pre-pandemic, it was almost impossible to engage someone in a conversation about childcare. Today, it's a critical issue that are on the lips of people from Washington to Columbia to right here in Beaufort County. So it's, it's a critical driver of our economy because if um, people don't have childcare, they're not able to work. Uh, you and I all know that um, when we go to a restaurant or we go to um, the grocery store, the shelves aren't stocked because there's not enough um, staff, tables, waiting for tables takes longer, all of those things. And childcare is really foundational to all of that. Um, the other important piece of childcare talks to the future. And I love this quote, and Amy talked about the importance of building a foundation for our kids at early ages. Um, brain development starts and is most important from birth to five. So those are critical years for our kids. And we've all talked about how third grade reading skills are a predictor of life outcomes. Let me tell you what's even more important. 18 month vocabulary scores, our little guys before they're even two are predictors of that third grade reading score. So it's critical that our kids have those foundations to be able to precipitate and keep our economy growing and strong for, for, the, for the long term. Um, 
the Greater Island Council recently did a white paper on early childhood education and childcare. And they found that we have a real critical issue here in Beaufort County. Um, not enough capacity for the need, um, very limited year round capacity. And one of the critical pieces was that there was not available childcare on the weekends. Um, and so much of our economy is driven by the hospitality industry. And we know um, high tourist season isn't just high tourist season anymore. In so many ways, it goes all the way across from January 1 to December 31st. Um, and so two years ago, the Children's Center was approached by Ed Bray and Patty Saltis, two people involved in the tourism industry here on our island. And they said, what's the chances that the Children's Center might be able to help us out on Saturdays, the proverbial turnover day, right? So many people are working on those Saturdays and there's no childcare available at all. So we looked at, at our options, um, certainly our staffing, our capacity, um, and began what we're now calling, it was originally called Saturday School and that was boring. So now we call it Summer Saturdays. And we are open from 7.30 in the morning until about 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, children from two to age eight can come here to the Children's Center. And um, we provide care for those kids whose parents are working on Saturdays. And it was originally thought that it would be um, mostly cleaning service kinds of people who are going in and turning over villas and turning over homes that are, are rentals and so forth. But what we found is we have parents in um, not just that industry, but in restaurants and in um, salons and people who are working retail, who are working on Saturdays. And so um, we've, we've come to find that it's a, it seems to be a critical issue, although we are not running at capacity. We can take up to 40 children um, each Saturday and we start mid-April, we start Heritage Weekend, and we run all the way through the end of September. Um, so we're, we're still open and ready for additional children, for folks to, to bring their kids. We provide lunch, we provide an afternoon snack, and all kinds of engaging and entertaining um, opportunities for the children. So um, I'm hoping that if anybody out there is interested, you can certainly reach out to me and I'll get you more information. Um, but the Children's Center not only does our Saturday thing, but we do Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. We have a, about 120 children on a daily basis, age six weeks, which were one of the few um, childcare centers who starts in infancy all the way through age eight. Our summer campers this year have spent a lot of time um, maintaining that their, their math and literacy skills throughout the summer. Um, and so we're, we're having a great time here at the Children's Center. We also do tuition on a sliding scale because what we found is affordability is a critical piece to um, parents being able to have childcare 
and work in our community um, at, a, at a reasonable level. It's unfortunate women are the most impacted by um, the lack of childcare because they're the ones that are generally the caregivers. And so they're the ones having to make the decision, can they work and afford childcare all at the same time? So affordability is the backbone of what the Children's Center does. Um, and I'm really proud to say that our graduates are prepared for kindergarten. We have a system whereby we measure uh, the developmental skills beginning in infancy all the way through um, when they graduate as five-year-olds ready to go to kindergarten. And our graduates mastered, mastered 96.8% of the kindergarten readiness skills. So our kids are ready to move on to kindergarten and be successful, not just in kindergarten, but through their academic careers. So the first question is coming from Jennifer and Jennifer is asking if the Children's Center needs any volunteers. We love volunteers. Um, we absolutely do. We have a, um, we do background checks on all our volunteers. So there's a little paperwork to get started, but we uh, love having people come in to read to our children, to play with our children. Um, I have a couple people who tell me they miss their grandchildren far away. And so they come in and they rock babies for a couple hours. Um, they run around on the playground. It's really important for our children to to engage with additional kids so, or additional adults. So we love and welcome volunteers. You had mentioned the, uh, the sliding scale for the, the cost. And Michael is asking if you could share a little bit about what that sliding scale is. Sure. So we have what we call a rack rate, um, a, a, a how much we charge weekly for children. Um, and then based on family income and family size, we can slide that by 30%. So everybody pays something different depending on their own family situation, um, but it's still affordable. For an infant, our top rate is $158, which is pretty much the lowest I've been able to find in our community um, for an infant. And that includes breakfast, lunch, afternoon snack, and all their activities. All right. All right. The next question is coming from Jana, and Jana is asking if there's currently a wait list. Oh, unfortunately, the Children's Center suffers from the same staffing issues that so many of our local businesses do. We can accommodate up to 200 if we're fully staffed, 200 children. Right now we're maximum capacity based on staffing at 120. Um, so I do have a wait list of about 60 children, unfortunately. Um, and it's really interesting because um, about 20 of those children have yet to be born. Mothers realize that they need to, um, as soon as they find out they're pregnant, get on wait lists for childcare because it's such a critical issue in our community. All right, Jody. while we were talking, one of your uh, terrific staffers has sent the uh, link to the video. Thank you, Allison. And so, uh, so Kelly has posted, posted that as well. Last question we have for you today is coming from Trish, and Trish is asking, What's the ratio of instructors to infants? So um, for infants, it's one to five. 
and then it grows from there. One-year-olds, it's one to six. Uh, two-year-olds, um, we follow the DSS standards. And when we're fully staffed, we follow ABC quality standards. So two-year-olds, it's one to eight. Three-year-olds, one to 12. And four-year-olds, one to 17. Um, we also partner with the state of South Carolina in their 4K program, which is a tuition paid program by the state of South Carolina for pre-K. And we're also one of the ABC uh, tuition voucher partners. So families that qualify, um, the state can pay some or all of their tuition on a, on a weekly basis. So we try and reach out to as many partners in our community as possible. Jody, I wanted to, to share with you, one of my coworkers was recently saying that uh, what a great job you do and uh, the entire staff does. And, and she just doesn't really know how you're able to do what you do, but uh, oh. uh, just said it, it's a terrific experience for her son. Thank you. Our, our teachers are amazing and all kudos and congratulations go to them because they are passionate about what they do and they're wonderful people. Jody, uh, uh, you're well known throughout the region, but I just want to, to leave people knowing if they don't know you about your 23 years, you served as president of the uh, local junior achievement in, back in Ohio before you came yes, here, uh, your yep. secondary teaching license and just a number of other things that were such great experience that you brought with you to Hilton Head Island and to the Children's Center. And we're grateful to you. We're grateful to all of your staff for what you do and uh, we'll continue to help in, in any way that we can. Thank you, Bill, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Okay, all right, <laughs> you have a great day, Jody. You Thanks too. for joining in. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks for joining in with us today. Remember, Beaufort County Schools start in 12 days, so that means school buses will be back on the roads, and we all need to be alert and attentive to that. And uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Stay cool, stay kind, and we'll see you soon. Thanks everybody for listening to the Chamber Channel's Power Hour. We encourage you to tune in for future episodes. Never miss one by subscribing to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.